Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank, the Great Scott Show, ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. And um, Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, as promised, joins me now. And um, Andrew, we're recording this the day before, just so everyone knows in terms of timing. But uh, at the time we're, we're we're recording this, is it your birthday today? Is that right? Yeah, uh, the big forty. Yeah, so I, I've kind of crossed over into old man zone. Um, it's funny because I play tennis, and so, you know, I play in tournaments and stuff, and, and uh, there's a new age bracket that starts at 40-plus. So I've graduated from the 18-plus. Uh, I don't have to play the young kids anymore. I can go to the old man leagues now. So that's kind of the silver lining here for me. ESPN1420 and .com. Uh the the old man lining. Well, you know, there's a 41 year old quarterback for the Saints, and everybody seems to be just saying great things about him this week, Andrew. Yeah, he's kind of getting. Uh, well, you know, listen, his performance uh, the first couple weeks has left a lot to be desired. Um, you know, just looking at the game, I, I have to say personally, I I don't necessarily feel like it's an ability thing as much as an execution thing. Now, there there is some reality that breathes. He doesn't have his fastball anymore. Pushing the ball down the field isn't isn't what it used to be, but I, but I think he tries to manage that by putting the team in the best position to win. And so I think he knows his limitations, and I think he does. Generally speaking, and you, you look at him, the number one rated quarterback in the league last year, with with a thumb injury, and I think he doesn't have that thumb injury right now. So to me, he's missing these throws, but it. it it's more accuracy. It's more timing. It's more anticipation. I, I just think he he hasn't put it all together. The offense isn't fully synced up. Uh, obviously, Malcolm, or I'm sorry, Emmanuel Sanders struggling as a receiver has probably made things worse with Michael Thomas now injured. So there's a lot going on there, but I don't know that I'm ready to say at this point that Breeze and, and that that's that, that's what you're referring to. I think a lot of fans out there are saying Breeze is done. He can't do it anymore. I, I don't necessarily think, Scott, that it's a physical thing. Yeah, I, I'm i not I'm not there right now. Now, I'd be lying if I said after two games it wasn't my biggest concern, but I'm not at, like, panic level with it. Um, right. The arm strength hasn't been there, right? That's not new, and I think you see national talking heads a lot think they're the first person to point it out like it's some revelation when it's like it, it hadn't been like that since, like, 2015. The accuracy, and and you've pointed out on the podcast, Saints Happy Hour podcast, I mean, folks listening, um, most of them listen. I know you have a lot of listeners here in Lafayette, and those that, that don't have certainly heard Ralph on this show many times, but uh, you have pointed out that it's repetition, um, Breeze being habitual, needing those reps, not having preseason, not having training camp, but I don't know. I had a caller this week say it almost looks like he's kind of playing scared, which isn't which isn't like him, you know, which isn't normal for him. My question to you, Andrew, is I have a timeline. I say, look, you finish week five against the Chargers and the accuracy is still what it is right now. I think I think you have major concern on your hands. For some, they're already there. Where are you at? Like at what point in time do you say, okay, now I am officially really worried that the accuracy and and the age have just kind of met together, and it's not it's not going to turn. We're not going to be able to turn back the hands of time here. Well, I'm I'm already worried, Scott. So I, I would say that that time is now. I mean, look, the, the Saints are in a race to get better, and they're in a race to improve. And the thing about Breeze, I guess that I'll say about this game that I'm a little surprised by is that I really thought 
with the extra day of preparation going into Monday night, based on how he played against Tampa, I was looking for a big bounce back performance. So I was a little surprised in the sense that I know how hard Breeze works. And when he's not happy with something, he's going to pour into his work. He's going to turn over every stone uh, to make sure that he bounces back in a big way. So it's a little surprising to still see him so off. And, you know, my, again, Michael Thomas wasn't there. I, it's been documented that Emmanuel Sanders is having a hard time picking up the offense. He he's really struggled so far in these first two weeks. And so I think part of it has to fall on the receivers. Look, on the opening drive, you go back and watch the game, Scott. The opening drive, the offense looks great. The offensive line is dominating. The tempo is good. You feel like the Raiders are on skates. Alvin Kamara is making plays. And, and on that drive, Breeze looks accurate. He looks like he's throwing with confidence. He's hitting his throws. And then he gets a drop by Emmanuel Sanders on the sideline. And then as the drive goes into the red zone on third and two, he hits Traquan Smith right over the middle, and there's another drop. So I, I do think on some level when you look at that opening drive, there was a couple drops early in the game that kind of let doubt sink in a little bit. And the Saints end up settling for a field goal there, but – it was a reminder that Michael Thomas is not there. You've got a couple receivers in Traquan Smith and Emmanuel Sanders that are just, they're not there. And, and there's inconsistencies on the perimeter for the Saints. And I, I just think right from that very moment, it was clear for Drew Brees that this offense is still a little bit out of sync. Right, right from that opening drive where they settle for a field goal. And so that was disappointing because I feel like at least at that point in the game on the opening drive, Breeze looked pretty sharp. And if they get seven on that drive and those catches are made, you, you can't help but wonder how would that have set the tone for the rest of the game and for how Breeze would have played. So, you know, I, I think the big thing, though, Scott, at this stage is Breeze is what he is. He's gonna, he, he's a game manager. He's going to manage the game well. He's going to check it down. He's going to get the ball to Alvin Kamara in space and let Alvin Kamara do his thing. And Alvin Kamara looks great right now, so that's a good thing. Uh, but I think the job description for Breeze is don't turn the ball over. So I, I, I have less problems with anything that happened in that game with the exception of the interception before halftime. That's something that just – if Breeze is going to be diminished in his ability to push the ball down the field and the margins are going to be sh shrinking on offense, then you can't make a mistake like that. And So that's where I think – Breeze is really kicking himself this morning. Andrew Juge, our guest, uh, recording with this on his 40th birthday. He probably didn't think he'd spend his 40th on ESPN 1420, and yet here we are. And uh, our mutual friend Ralph Malbro texted me, and he said, just to remind you that you're old and washed. So take with that what you will. <laughs> it's it's very true, but I'm not as old as Ralph. No, you're not. Um, with that, uh, you, you mentioned the INT. <coughs> Excuse me. Defensively, uh, Andrew, just – I have less concern about the defense. It was a bad night at the office. I mean, look, they gave up first, first, kind of like the offense, right? They started out good. First two drives, Raiders 25 yards on 11 plays, not much going. Then they have an 11 play yard, 63, 11 play, 63 yard drive score, 10 play, 75 yard drive touchdown, eight play, 31 yards field goal. That's after the breeze pick. They start the second half, nine play, 75 yard touchdown. Then it's 12 plays, 47 yards, and that's the Jalen Richard fumble, which Saints didn't have to do with that. That was a self-inflicted one. They took advantage by recovering it, but then had to punt. 10-play, uh, 89-yard touchdown, 7-play, 46-yard field goal. I mean, the, from, from halfway through the second quarter and beyond, 
they just cut through the Saints defense like a hot knife through butter. Cam Jordan through two games only has one pressure. Like I could, you know, they they couldn't they you know they were practicing social distancing on Darren Waller. They couldn't cover him for anything. It was a really bad day at the office. But when I look at Cam Jordan, when I look at at Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins who had who had a bad game, I don't look at that and say, man. I feel like this is going to continue. I think some of the hyperbole coming out of the loss uh, on Monday night about Breeze's accuracy, that that I think is a little more warranted. I'm not as panicked as others are. Concerned, yes, panic, no. But but in terms of the defensive performance, you're a guy that you do grades. I enjoy it. Uh, Patreons of the Saints Happy Hour certainly enjoy it as well. But you go back, you watch the film, and you actually grade players and you grade individual performances as a whole defensively, Andrew, and I'm just rambling here, I'm going to ask the question, what are what is your concern level coming off of that game? Is it, man, this is this is highly concerning moving forward? Do you feel like they're going to have this thing back in check, whether it be this Sunday against the Packers or or the week after against the Lions? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And I'll just point back really quick before we talk about the defense. You know, I, I, and again, just going back to what we said about Drew Brees, he is a rhythm player. He is about reps. He is about playing with tempo and consistency. And when you're off the field for these drives you talked about, eight minutes, ten minutes, it's really hard to sit on the bench cold and then come back at a moment's notice and, and you know, ha- have that rhythm that we're talking about. So I think the defense, I think, in a lot of ways is, is to blame as much for the offense struggling to find rhythm as the offense themselves. As far as the defensive side of the ball is concerned, honestly, the biggest thing for me is when you look at the matchup, and I really think it boils down to it's an X's and O's thing, Scott. Now, there were penalties, there were missed tackles, so this wasn't a sharp performance by the Saints. But the reality is they came into this game knowing, and you see it on tape, they knew that the Raiders' offense goes by Josh Jacobs. And so that it was a priority to stop him at all costs. And you see that on tape because the corners are playing up on the line of scrimmage. Uh, you're seeing eight, nine-man boxes, press coverage every single time. They wanted Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins playing close-up press on these receivers so that they'd be available off the edge to tackle uh, to help on Josh Jacobs. And so for the most part in that game, Josh Jacobs was held pretty much under control. The Saints did a good job of controlling the line of scrimmage and stopping Josh Jacobs from getting big chunk yards on the ground. Uh, the flip side of that is that after a few drives of the Saints being pretty effective with that plan, the Raiders adjusted and they knew, okay, well, if they're going to press us and they're going to be in man coverage, we don't believe they have anyone that can cover Waller. And so we're going to go to Darren Waller ad nauseum. And that's exactly what happened. And unfortunately for the Saints, they really had no answer for that. And look, I know I see Malcolm Jenkins catching a bunch of flack, but he wasn't the only one trying to cover Waller. I mean, they they threw the kitchen sink at him. They tried to bracket him. They put Lattimore in coverage on him, P.J. Williams, Malcolm Jenkins, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Everybody got a turn at trying to stop Waller, and no one could do it. And so the bottom line is they had no answer for him, and that's really the difference in the game. It It, it is that simple and it's why the Raiders were able to go 10 for 17 on third down and convert a lot of these third in mediums is because the Saints would be on these one-on-one match matchups, and he was completely unstoppable. And look, 
credit to the Raiders there. They, they have a great player that made plays, and the Saints won't have to play him every week. So you just hope that the defense can rebound. But uh, you can't help but feel that it, it's a little bit of coaching, coaching and X's and O's too. Um, I feel like the Saints are outcoached in this game. Speaking of coaching, Sean Payton said after week one, you know, I mean, he's he's been pretty blunt actually um, in terms of the job he's done, the job the offense has done, um, hadn't really made excuses or said, well, when you look a little deeper, it's just, I mean, Cat Terrell, I think, asked him a question uh, Monday night after the game on the Zoom media call about Drew Brees not being accurate, and he started to kind of respond with timing and routes, and then he just said, but I agree with you, right? Like, he's not, you know, everything's out of sync. He didn't start to point, you know, he kind of started to go to the details, but then just summed it up with, you're right. Um, and, you know, needing the run game. This is what I want to ask you about. They, uh, he said they put them in bad positions in terms of the run game in week one. I felt like there was, early on at least, more of a desire to run the ball by the Saints. Now they had 38 pass attempts, 19 runs, but so many of those pass attempts came on the final two drives. One, Vegas is playing prevent, and the second one, that's just garbage time cosmetic yards, you know. I think getting back to what Vegas was able to do offensively and the Saints defense being out there for so long and losing the time of possession battle by, I don't know, a dozen minutes or so, you just, it's easy to say you got to run the ball more, but to be able to do that, and I I don't disagree with that. I think think they have to run the ball more if they really want to get the best out of this offense, but I don't think that Monday night's game really, the way it played out, you could put some blame on Peyton, but I think you could put some blame on the defense as well in terms of why they were not able to run the ball. Let's say, hypothetically, Andrew, Sunday night, it's more even in terms of number of plays, time of possession, and they're playing the Packers. Do you expect them to focus more on the run game, or is Peyton just going to be Peyton and you know do what, what he's done? Not every single season he's been the head coach of the Saints, but most. Yeah, it's a common complaint, and I think it's so much of it just depends on the circumstances of the game. I think a lot of times you go in with a plan, and then how the game develops, Scott, has a huge impact on how you adjust and how you call the game. And you know, for anyone that's criticizing Sean Payton, and, and I think some of it's fair. So you know, I don't want to be overly defensive of him, but I, I would just point back to how how things unfolded in the second half specifically. At 17 all were at halftime, and at that point, I would say that in the first half, the Saints were doing a pretty good job of running the football and being committed to it. There was a good balance there in the first half, and you have a tied game at 17-17. The Raiders come out, and they get a touchdown. You're immediately down 24-17. to The first play, the Saints get a huge chunk on a pass to Alvin Kamara. The next play, they run a play action to Josh Hill, huge chunk so they've got about 40 yards in two plays the next play they run the ball they get hit for a holding penalty so you're immediately at first and 20 then you get another penalty and then another penalty and and by by the end of the drive it was like third and 25 so and no one can convert that so I, I just think when you look at how that second half played out by the time the Saints got the they got three penalties they had to punt by the time they got the ball again, they were down two scores, and it was the fourth quarter. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying about the, the Raiders bleeding the clock. You're down two scores. It's the fourth quarter. Now you have to throw every play. The balance is out the window based on how the game unfolded. So, you know, the defense 
allowing that much time to get burned and giving up a touchdown, I think really kind of affects how, how you can do it. And so that's the thing. When you get in a game like that where the margins are small, having three offensive penalties on one drive, it, it, it's a killer. Um, so, yes, I do expect the Saints to go to answer your question specifically. I think when they go in against the Panthers – I'm sorry, against the Packers, there's going to be a focus on running the football. And I think when you look at how Alvin Kamara pointed at how, how he played in this game, how could you not – lean on him. Uh, he clearly, and, and we don't know what the status of Michael Thomas is as of now, and there's a good chance that he won't play in this game. But when you look at his current form, I think the Saints clearly need to lean on him. He is in peak form, and he's a guy that needs to see the football in this game. Uh, the only thing I will lament beyond that is that Taysom Hill, to me, two touches is not enough. And he's a guy that can ignite your offense. He can make plays. Uh, you know, and especially when you talk about the limitations of Drew Brees' arm, that gives you maybe another element in the passing game. So I'd really like to see more of Taysom Hill uh, against the Packers. But I think the Saints will come up with a good plan and look better offensively. You know, they haven't lost back-to-back games in a few years. They have responded well to losses. Um, you know, I think when you win a lot, you know, with great expectations can come great disappointment. And you know, Saints Twitter after a loss, uh, especially a sloppy game like Monday night, is kind of in meltdown mode. But uh, you and I both know if they look pretty sharp and strong on Sunday night, all will be right in the world. If they win but Breeze is off, they'll still be panicked. And if they lose, the sky will be following Will be following completely. And uh, you know that better than anybody dealing with the fans. Saints Happy Hour podcast. Um, you know, regardless, you can always laugh at Atlanta collectively. That's fun. But, um, but... But in regards to the Saints, at the time of recording this, Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, our guest, at Andrew Juge on Twitter, um, you've only kind of started early stages of digging into some of your player grades, so I'm not going to press you to to answer a lot. Just your, just, just give me one. Like kind of your, your early um, looking back, something you didn't see Monday night, but early stages of watching the game again. What's something that you noticed the second time around? Because I imagine – like like a coach or a player, you see a lot more once you're actually studying the film rather than whenever you're just kind of letting it unfold live and in person. Yeah, well, I think it's just it, it's just disappointing. I would say generally from the offensive line, they started the game so well, and and when you again when you go back to those drop passes, I think they really had the Raiders kind of. You know, they, they, there was a point in that game where you just felt like the offensive line was dominating in the trenches and. I have to say, Andres Pete, you, you mentioned Saints Twitter. He, he's one of the common victims of Saints Twitter, and, and he catches a lot of grief. Uh, but he was fantastic in this game. There are so many moments, you go back and watch the tape, where he stood out to me as having a phenomenal game. And so, you know, obviously that was great to see. He left the game momentarily, was able to come back. But uh, Andres Pete didn't play so well in week one, and so and he's missed a lot of training camp. And so that's a good sign for me to see him come back and play at that level and just show that he can still be a physical presence. And remember, he made a Pro Bowl. I mean, he can be that kind of player on occasion. And when you when you see him do it in this game, it's pretty impressive. So I think that was that was uh, good to see. Uh, a little disappointed by Ryan Ranch, Ramchek, you know, honestly. And he, he's one that's usually so solid for the Saints. But he had his hands full with Max Crosby. And, you know, I think – I will say this about the Raiders – they have some under-the-radar players 
that are really good. And and that's the thing that popped out to me on tape as much as maybe the Saints struggling in the secondary. <laughs> Max Crosby's a great player. Uh, Darren Waller, what a player. You know, obviously Josh Jacobs. I thought Carr played at a very high level. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think lastly, the talking point right now for me has to be Cam Jordan. When you look at him, two, two tackles being out for the Raiders and the Raiders mm-hmm. putting their third string right tackle in the game. Now, they did run tight ends. They did run chips at, at Cam Jordan. But for to see him just get stonewalled like he was in this game and really one of the only plays that he stood out on was a horse collar tackle where he cost the Saints 15 yards. So that, to me, was shocking because that on paper was by far the biggest mismatch in this game. And he didn't capitalize or take advantage of that at all. And uh, that was really disappointing to see because the Raiders reached a point where they really weren't running the ball. And so they were dropping back to the pass. Now, granted, Carr was getting the ball out of his hands quickly and getting it to Waller. But there were tons of opportunities for Cam Jordan in this game to get after the passer and get sacks. And it just never really happened. Andrew Juge has been our guest. Uh, it is his 40th birthday at the time of this recording. Happy birthday. I know uh, you're a family man. I hope they uh, they spoil you today. But um, final Saints question before we let you run. Saints Happy Hour podcast. You guys have heard me talk about it on the air. I love it. I've listened for years. Uh, I've done a couple of drunk Saints histories with Ralph. But uh, Ralph, Andrew, Dave, Kevin, I love the, the – I've, I've told Ralph this before. And my, my favorite part of the Sean Payton Open – where he's, you know, uh, talking about you know, the, the quality being bad and how you don't know football and all that. For some reason, the best, the thing that makes me laugh every time is when he just says, I think everybody has trouble listening to Dave. I don't know why, but I laugh out loud every single time, man. I got to give Sean Payton credit. He really deadpanned uh, that, that whole thing. And we wrote the script for him and sent it to him. And, you know, he, he almost brought it to life even better than I was imagining it in my head when I wrote it. So, um, but yeah, Scott, thanks so much uh, for the well wishes and for the support of our podcast. I know, uh, you know, we, uh, our patrons are are fiercely loyal to us and and we're so thankful for that. And, you know, last parting thought, I guess, just on the saints at one and one, I I would just remind saints fans that, that one year, not so long ago when they went 13 and three early in the season, they had inexplicable losses to the max hall quarterbacked Cardinals. Uh, and the Colt McCoy quarterback Browns. Uh, and I remember those were both early season losses. The Saints are notorious slow starters. And I think part of what makes them so good is their ability to adjust and fix things as they go on. And that's because Sean Payton is such a detail-oriented person. And they, they correct their mistakes. That's one thing Sean Payton-led teams do very well, generally speaking, especially on offense. And uh, so that that team that lost to Max Hall and Colt McCoy went on to to go 13 and three. So uh, all hope is not lost. Uh, it, it was a dud of a game for the Saints, uh, but it's a long season, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they respond on Sunday against the Packers. All right, uh, Andrew, and uh, and lastly, the um, a tennis question for you because I know you're a tennis player. I listened to the pod when y'all interviewed John Isner. Uh, my yeah. wife's played her whole life, so I'm actually a big tennis fan. Um, and the U.S. Open final was really competitive. Uh, no one was watching because, you know, Saints-Bucks, but I kind of watched after the fact. But um, Novak being uh, ejected, essentially, from the tournament, whatever the term is, 
I just want your thoughts on that whole thing briefly because I get it. I know it's a rule. I don't think he violently hit the ball. Um, I, you know, I, I hope the woman's okay, though she certainly, you know, appeared to be dying, and then she ended up being okay, which is good. Um, but what, what were your thoughts on all that, man? That was, uh, I don't know. I thought there was a lot of piling on there because I think in general a lot of analysts may not like Novak the guy. Uh, I thought I thought there was quite a bit of overreaction. That's just my perspective. Now you you know the game very well. You know tennis very well. What was your thoughts? No, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of times, look, it, it's. I mean, I, I don't know how many. I don't. I, I question whether I should mention Nick Kyrgios or not because I don't know if your listeners even know who that is. But uh, you know, Nick Kyrgios, for example, is kind of the bad boy of tennis, and if he does the exact same thing, then the world's on fire, and and you know, people would be asking for for a year suspension, and if it's Roger Federer doing it then everyone's quick to defend him and say it was unintentional. And so the baggage and the history that you bring into an action like that is always going to fan the, the flames, you know, of, of Twitter and, and just social media reaction. So I do think Novak carries a little, gar- a little baggage, and uh, I, I think that maybe affects public perception to some degree. Uh, it was clearly unintentional. Um, Players do it all the time. Yeah, you know, fire a ball into the stand, yeah. fire a ball into the backdrop, and it happened to hit an official. And that's the thing, though. That's the rule. Uh, if, if you hit an official, uh, it, it's a non-negotiable. You're done. And and that's always been a rule. And I, unfortunately, in, in my tennis watching history, I've seen it happen a couple times. And it's one of those things where accidental or not, you hit an official, you're done. And so I think they have to enforce that rule as it's written. Uh, whether that should be rewritten or not is a separate conversation, but as it exists, uh, that's that's something that they had to do in that moment. So uh, I, you can't really fault the tournament or the umpire for the decision there. Uh, clearly an accident, and uh, ultimately, I, I just kind of lament that it's, look, you're in a pandemic. There's no fans there. Tennis really needs to celebrate the U.S. Open with, with the best it has to offer. Federer's out-injured. Uh, Nadal didn't go to the U.S. Open over COVID concerns. So Djokovic was really your one superstar on the men's side that was there. And for him to get disqualified like that, I I think was just a really bad moment for tennis because, and and I I say this for all these sports, they need positive stories right now, whether it's the NBA or football or any sport. You know they're they're not making as much money and they're kind of hanging on it on by a thread in terms of sustainability, trying to pull this off with no fans. And so, I, I just felt like it was a, a a moment that was kind of too bad because, like I said, it wasn't intentional and the sport just deserves better than that. And so, uh, I, I just thought it was too bad. But listen, the story that ends up happening on the other side of that is Dominic Team wins his first Grand Slam. And I just think he is such an ambassador to the sport, such a tremendous player. And he's come so close to winning his first Grand Slam many times, giving uh, Rafael Nadal at the French Open uh, competitive matches. So to see him kind of break through and finally do that, I will say was a great moment. Andrew Juge has been our guest at Andrew Juge on Twitter. Check out the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Andrew, happy birthday. Thank you for spending time with us on your birthday. And uh, I'll be listening to the pod and we'll talk to you again in the future. All right. That sounds great. I'm happy to come back anytime. Thanks, Scott.